Hey there, we are Rob and Joanna Teigen. Welcome back to the Growing Home Together podcast. We've been married for over 30 years and we've parented our five kids through all the ages and stages. We're excited to share our passion for caring for the soul of your family with you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey friends, thanks for joining us today for the Growing Home Together podcast. You know, I think everybody knows that when we stand at the altar and make our vows to stick together for better or for worse, that those vows will eventually be tested. I mean, every couple has experienced some kind of disappointment or loss or pain. And yet, even though we vow to go through those hard things together, Grief can take a toll on our marriage, and we wonder, you know, how are we going to communicate about this, and how do we support each other, and how do we keep the faith when our circumstances just don't make sense? That's right, and that's why we are so glad to have Faith Yes on the show. Chuck and Ashley Elliott are popular speakers and workshop leaders, a pastor and a counselor who hold numerous psychoeducational certifications, and they're the authors of the new book, I Used to Be. How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in Life and Find Your Path Forward. Chuck and Ashley are here to help us today understand how grief can draw us closer to God and each other. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We're excited for this. Yeah. So before we jump in, could you guys tell us a little bit about your um, yourselves, your family, and you know what led you to write I Used to Be? Yeah, we are Chuck and Ashley, and we have been married 16 years. We have three boys, and we did not initially talk about writing a book as a couple. I myself felt like as a kid that I had this calling to write. I actually had a pastor pray over me that I was going to read the Word and write things. So I didn't necessarily know if it would be a book, but I began writing at that time and found that I didn't dislike it as I had in school. (laughs) So I said, okay, Lord, maybe I could do this. I wrote some poems and some articles. And then in time, as we talked when we were dating, we knew we wanted to do ministry together. And so as we were talking about ministry, you know, we got excited, got to know each other. And then, you know, the short, short version of the story is we got married and we began doing ministry even while we're dating, but in just different facets over the years. And so Chuck's a full-time pastor. I am a counselor. I was at a university for 11 years. And so I got to get a great amount of public speaking experience, both at the church and at the university. And then I got to work out a theory along with a lot of other things that I did that worked with students and helped them really digest content, understand terms and really strengthen their relationships and make them better. And so that was something as I kept developing this content, I wanted to get it out to people. And so we've done workshops and then we ended up going through our our story. I'll let Chuck tell a little bit about our our journey. And and then that was whenever we really decided like we want to write a book about this. So Ashley and I, um, we have three boys. We have 13, 11, and five. We had the two bigger ones, the 13 and 11-year-old, and then we experienced recurrent miscarriage. 2015, 16, and 17 uh, experienced miscarriages. And then 2018, we did have our our little five-year-old that we have now. But through that process of miscarriage, we really learned a lot about grief and how it was difficult and it impacted us in different ways other people in different ways and it exposed something that we hadn't seen before personally but something that we'd seen in other people and we were trying to put words to it so we decided after we had our little one in 2018 we waited a year and then we said okay god what is it you'd want us to do 
and we developed a video series and then the content that turned into uh, ultimately the book. But that's been shaping a lot of the things that we do. And we didn't set out to write a grief book. We're primarily relationship people talking about marriages, business relationships, work relationships, things in the church, but just seeing how relationships are intertwined into everything and people grieve differently. People need support and different things like this. And we know that relationships are impacted whenever our identity shifts. And so that title, I used to be blank, that we can fill in the blank all of these different ways. We used to be pregnant, married, employed, stable. However we fill the blank, there is an identity shift that happened with whatever loss that we faced. And when we question who we are, it it shakes our stability, our confidence. And we want to look to God to to get that stability back and to learn new techniques, but especially understanding our thinking habits and what are some of the things that happen to get us here is a powerful way to find healing and hope and restore those relationships ultimately, but that relationship with ourselves and our relationship with God and then others. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm just so sorry um, that you went through the loss of your little ones. I can't imagine what that would be like, but I'm so grateful that you took what God gave you in that um, and shared it with us. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember when a while back Rob made a job change and that job change meant moving away from the Pacific Northwest where we had made our home for almost 10 years. And Rob told me that that was the first place where he really let himself put down roots and it was close to his family and it was just his favorite place in the whole world. So when we moved away from that part of the country, it was tough for him. I mean, it's tough for me too, but in a different way. And I just remember as his wife, I was struggling to understand what his grief was really like and how to even meet him in those emotions. And I think it was hard for Rod to even explain it to me. Can you kind of give us a baseline idea of what grief really is? and how it can affect a person in tangible ways. Well, one of the things that you mentioned there with moving, we don't oftentimes think that that is grief. And so I think that's a good example to just use to help us understand what grief is. So whenever we have something that we love or that we have a deep attachment to, and then we lose it, we are experiencing a loss and we grieve the loss. So we're processing the loss or we're burying that loss. We're trying to tell ourselves, I'm fine. I'll just make new friends. I'll be fine. We barrel through or we ignore it, whatever it is that we might do. Maybe it is we dwell on it and we, oh, it'll never be as good as it was that, you know, we can have a lot of different responses. But grieving is this process of mourning what was. And so I think that whenever we attach our identity to it and we say, I used to be connected to this family, to these friends, to this part of the country. I used to have access to the mountains or the water or whatever it is that we attach to. It helps us to say, okay, Lord, I'm sad about that. But what do I need? I need adventure because I really love the mountains or I need connection because I really miss my family. Whether that means that we're going to connect with our family via telephone or video, or if we're going to attach with some friends and make some, make some new friends where we are, but it exposes a need that we have. And then when we can practically look at it, then we can gain insight to how we meet that grief, how we meet that need to resolve, kind of heal, close the loops maybe that are going on inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's also really realizing that your life is not what you thought it was going to be. You have an unmet expectation that maybe you thought 
thought you were going to get married and then you find out that you're not getting married and you're living single and that wasn't your plan you're grieving the loss of a hope or anticipation of a life that you didn't realize something that you didn't get to have and that's also something that is considered grief Mm, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, that that's uh, really helpful because I think, yeah, as I as I think back on that, um, we had been here where we currently live for a few years. And at the same time, I think based on what, because of what you were saying, um, Ashley, I think I was, I didn't see it as grief or I thought, oh, you know, you should just be thankful. You have another good job. You have this, you have that. And so I just kind of dismiss it. And some of it I thought was childish because that was, that was around the time of, of, uh, I think around 08 when the economy wasn't doing great. And so I'd lost all these things, like silly things that just were my creature comforts, like my stat, my airline status, because, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I came to this new company and they weren't travel traveling as much, you know, and all these silly things. And so then my dad passed away in the, in the midst of that. Mm. And so that took on a different grief, but I didn't really ever see the other as a, as a grief. So I was still kind of walking through this, trying to justify like, oh, you're, you know, it's fine. And so I think as Christians, we can have this preconceived idea that there's a right way to grieve, or we can think that because we struggle, either God is not good, or our faith is too small, or, you know, we kind of wrestle back and forth. So can you give us a better or more helpful way to understand how our faith and our grief can intersect? That's a great question. We do sometimes feel guilty because we think about all the good things that we have and we say oh i don't have a right to feel bad about this and i think that you nailed it when you said the thing about airline status so let's just go back to go back to that you might feel like initially that it's silly or when you think about the other things that people are going through in your immediate circle around the world it seems minuscule but it represents something that you valued if you valued the ability to travel that way you valued feeling as if someone treated you special different whatever that might be and we can feel guilty for that but it's valid to say okay it's not what it used to be and i can process what did i care about what did i miss about this or what do i miss about this so taking that back to the faith question we're supposed to be um, we're supposed to be humble we're supposed to be grateful we're supposed to be just so blessed that we're not so worried or stressed about anything but that's living this life that doesn't feel current within itself it feels like well i'm having these thoughts i just have to push them down and not deal with them because they're not spiritual enough but we see in the pages of scripture that we want to be fully known by god he already sees everything in our life but when we don't open up those parts of our life and analyze them and lean into them then oftentimes they fester as guilt or shame or something that impacts our openness to the next relationship or the next opportunity. So God wants to be involved in all of that, whether we feel like it's something that is large or something that is small. And it doesn't mean that you spend the same amount of time processing the loss of a parent that you do processing the loss of an airline status, obviously, mm -hmm. but not recognizing both of them as something, this is different. And I found some identity in that. And I can completely identify with you, Rob, on that. I've had changes in career or changes in status or job or whatever, and I grieve the way that I felt or felt valued in that previous role, title, status, money, whatever that might have been. Yeah. A minute ago, Chuck, you said something that I thought of. You said kind of a, the too blessed to be stressed. A statement. And I think, I wonder if Jesus would have ever said that. Like, Absolutely. He had a t-shirt that said it. I, I just, <laughs> right? but we often think 
I should say something that's going to strengthen me. And that's where I think that those types of statements come, you know, too blessed to be stressed, focus on the good, not the bad, but Jesus mourned, Jesus grieved, Jesus wept. I don't think that he was running away from the hard emotions. Like I hear some of these Christian statements that, that are out there. Yeah. And so I think it's okay to give ourselves permission to feel the big feelings, but if we can do it in prayer, that's going to probably be more effective if we can do it in the Lord's presence or say, Lord, help mm -hmm. me get counseling and seek a Christian counselor and do it in a way where we can process it. Because like you said, it's not going to take the same amount of time to process you know, a small loss possibly as a big loss, but there are losses that for some people are huge where it may be kind of small for us. So uh, one of the critiques, one of the reviews said was you don't spend a ton of time talking about small losses. And, and I kind of wondered, I, I mean, maybe that's their perception, but I would say some people would read some, uh, 80% of our stories and call them small compared to theirs. And so again, we're trying to give permission for you to identify it as large or small, but if it is big to you, then it is something is that, that needs to be addressed. And if it's small to you, but it's still triggering pain or tripping you up and keeping you from being your best self, then I think it's worth looking at. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think you're right because I think, yeah, until I face it, I just kind of didn't really even, couldn't even really identify some of those things, you know, it's just like, I knew it made me frustrated or disappointed or sad. But once I actually looked at it, then, you know, and then sometimes, you know, you will still grieve. Obviously, you know, I still grieve the loss of of my dad and and that comes up at different points and in, in different times in a different way. But when I actually looked at the different losses that I experienced when we moved, you know, today I, I, I could really care less about my flight status, but I did have to look at it and, and ask questions and kind of pray and wrestle with God and not just say, Oh, that's silly. That's trite or whatever, but really to, to really work through it and realize, yeah, it was part of my identity for some reason. And, and are there better things I can attach my identity to than that? Um, and so God's kind of worked through that, but he wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have, you know, faced it, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a really good, that's a really good example. No, thanks for sharing that. I think for, for your listeners, it's really good to take through something that, that example, but it's tied to other things in our identity. So thanks for yep. sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate what you were saying about taking all of those feelings. Like we don't have to just get stuck in them that we, we can take them to God in prayer. And I would say that has made the book of Psalms really take on a whole new life for me is clearly God's ears are wide open and his heart is wide open to take whatever we're bringing his way. Because if anything's going to put words <laughs> to our struggles and our pain and like, this makes no sense. This isn't fair. I'm feeling really wounded by people who I thought cared about me. I don't feel safe. My stability is gone. I mean, all of these kind of struggles are just embedded all through the Psalms and we can just pray God's word to him. And I just, I just love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thankful, thankful for the Psalms. I love <laughs> reading through, I mean, hearing David talk about his grief and like, God, where are you? And our silence, we felt like God was really still there. Like by our faith, we knew that he was still there, but it just felt so frustrating. Like, Lord, I'm reaching out, I'm crying out, and I just don't feel your presence. And so I'd read from David and he'd say, why have you forsaken me? And then a few verses later, yet I will praise you. And then I'd read, you know, other Psalms and say the same kind of pattern. He's telling his frustration to God, but he then says, I will still praise you. And so I'm thankful for that model. Like you said, we can go to the Psalms and be encouraged that whatever it is that we're facing, that others have 
felt it and we can get through it on our knees. We can get through it through prayer and taking it to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say for me that um, one of the hardest things that I've had to grieve is actually when my kids are grieving. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a parent, you don't want your kids to hurt. You know, you don't want them to have to uh, fight their way through barriers just to grow or feel like they're moving forward. And that's that's just so hard. And as a mom, I wish I could take their problems on myself or that I could figure out how to just make it all better. But so many times you just can't. And so I'm grieved for the challenge they've had to suffer through. And, you know, I know in those times I can find myself getting so focused on the hard parts that it's kind of, it becomes all that I can see. And in your book, you talk about this idea of switch theory that can help us change our mindset when we're feeling stuck, right? Can you tell us about switch theory? Yes. This is something that I developed at the university quite a few years ago. And it was in you working with students in my office and then at church and we would talk through it at home. And so just doing all of this thought experimentation about why people get stuck in a negative space. Because over the years as a counselor, as an educator over the psychology and addictions counseling program, we had a lot of feelings and a lot of negativity. And so just like, how is it that we get so stuck in this negative space with negative thoughts, feelings? of behavior. And so to find this thing that we later called switch theory, but we have this positive space, what most of us start off in the relationship in. And so we feel excited, all of the positive, hopeful thoughts, feelings, and emotions are here. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes when you have an unmet expectation, you switch to that negative space, which is the opposite. So negative thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so we can go back and forth between that positive and a negative space. And all of us do. No one is smart enough or spiritual enough to to be able to completely stay in that positive space. But in time, we're going to face an unmet expectation and we switch to that negative space. And so we call it switch theory because we switch back and forth between that positive and negative space. Now, it's deeper than just a mood or an experience, but it is something that attaches to our identity, our beliefs, our values. And so when we think about being in a negative space, we see people or see ourselves as different, stuck, less capable, less confident. And whenever we think about being our best self, oftentimes we feel like maybe we're not overthinking things or we're not second guessing ourselves or we're just in God's presence or we're happy. But when we get into a negative space, we tend to start thinking differently. We might have lies that we begin believing. We're in a positive space. I believe God loves me. In a negative space, I begin to doubt God's love for me. In a positive space, I might feel like I can you know, do all the hard work in a negative space, I feel like I can't. And so for me, one of my negative space patterns I have come to recognize even in the last few months surrounds a lot of fatigue. <laughs> I get tired and in a negative space, I say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. And so I'm learning, you know, I've got to stop filling my schedule so full and making my to-do list because I am really good at getting things done. And I've learned that's a skill set that I have. But then if it's going to put me in a negative space, then I'm worshiping that instead of God. And so I have to work really hard to to rein in some of these things that fulfill me and make me feel like I'm in this positive space or else it's going to feed a negative space later. And you asked the question about with our families, we use switch theory with our kiddos on a regular basis before we had the good looking worksheets and all the curriculum and things to go with it. It was just on a 
piece of paper and we had our kiddos list out what do they look like in a positive space? What do they look like in a negative space? So one of our sons might feel like we don't love them. And he'd say, oh, you just don't love me whenever they were being disciplined or lost a privilege. And we'd be like, okay, so that where, where, where would you say that would be? Okay, that would be in a negative space because he, he knows that's a lie. When he's in a positive space, he believes it, that we love him and he knows that and feels that. But just seeing that I believe some of these things, I do some of these things in a negative space that I wouldn't do in a positive space. Another way that we often look at it is being hopeful. We often lack hope in a negative space, but we're hopeful for the future in a positive space. And with that example with our son, he stopped saying that phrase. And I don't think he said that in years. And, and I believe that him seeing it on paper in his own handwriting, I know in a positive space, my family loves me. And then writing it out and going, I don't think they love me. He was able to see that it isn't true, which helped lower the motivation to say it. And so not that there aren't other things that we all get stuck in a negative space with and we keep having new things that we're learning about ourselves. But when we gain insight, we we get unstuck. And so we can stop some of those patterns and find our way back toward that positive space. Sure. So you've got me thinking about uh, this woman that I encountered at a conference who was in a very negative space and and telling herself basically that she was a complete and total failure as a parent because her young adult children had chosen to reject Christianity. And she was blaming herself for that and just grieving her children's denial of Jesus. I mean, just, just in emotional agony over this. And she was in that negative space and it was hard for her to, to tell herself the truth that, that God had grace for her and accepted her and loved her and didn't just see her as a big failure, you know? How does switch theory maybe mesh with the idea in scripture of, of taking our thoughts captive? Is there a relationship kind of between the two that you could help us with? For sure. We encourage people first to become familiar with their positive and negative space thoughts, their patterns. And, and so in our worksheet, we've got the positive space thoughts and the negative space thoughts, and then the positive space behavior and the negative space behavior. And so if, if individuals work through a specific scenario that usually helps them to build the the knowledge about how our brain works and how to just literally work through this system. But if you, for example, you know, we just use the example with the kids, but if, if they say you don't love me in a negative space, then that behavior is going to be to go in the room and isolate versus if they say, I know my family loves me, they're going to want to come out and spend time together. And so first seeing how our thoughts inform our behavior is really helpful. But then we know that if we have some negative thoughts, we need to think about maybe who is putting those thoughts there? How did they get there? Are they true? Are they helpful? And if they aren't helpful, and especially as Christians, we can say, uh, the enemy is trying to be this Christian relationship destroyer like we know him to be. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we need to stop him. So we take every thought captive. We make it obedient to Christ. And why? Because it makes a difference. Says in that verse, as you continue, after we have preached the gospel, we won't be disqualified. You know, whenever we're, we're doing the work that God gives us, that we will be faithful. And so knowing that it is important, it is a battle that we have to fight our mind 
that will lead us astray. And and yet God is merciful. There's a verse that says, God remembers that we are dust. And sometimes that verse just makes me laugh and also encourages me. Lord, thank you. Because I keep trying to be good enough and I, I am never good enough. And so just being able to rest in his arms, that I'm resting in his goodness, yet there's work for me to do too, because I, I have to stop those thoughts. And we we love the verse in Romans 12 too, also that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we are going to renew our mind. And so we have to know what our mind is doing in order to really effectively and easy, easily renew it. And then other versions of the scriptures is really giving more to Christ doing the renewing, which is meaning that we're going to have to bring our thoughts to God. Mm-hmm. And so often we see when people are in a negative space, they forget to pray. And and I, I say forget, but I'm almost even think it's more like Adam and Eve in the garden where they're going and they're hiding they're because they yeah. feel shameful. And so learning to bring our shame to God is really humbling, but also is transformative. And I think that's part of this negative space, bringing those negative thoughts before the Lord and saying, God, search me, know my heart, test me. If there's anything that's an anxious thought or an anxious way, I want you to get in the middle of it because your way is perfect. You are a holy God and I can trust you. And so when we use scripture to help us really examine our our thoughts in our behavior, we will find some simple strategies that we can begin to implement in our life to act out that manual reset, moving back to that positive space or that transformative process of changing our thinking. And this really is work because if you say you're going to take every thought captive, what do you take captive? You take something captive that's running around like a wild thing. So (laughs) your thoughts will go crazy. You'll think inappropriate things. You'll think bad things about yourself, bad things about other people. So you have to do the work. It can feel just like you're going on a run. You're running miles or you're lifting weights or you're doing something around the house and moving a bunch of furniture. It can be just as hard, if not harder, to take your thoughts captive, to say, no, I'm not going to think that negative thing. You might feel just this angst or anxiety or strain within yourself to change the way that you're thinking. You make it submissive to Christ, though. You're saying, I'm going to do the work to change the way that I'm thinking. I'm going to think something else. I'm going to get out that verse that I'm memorizing. I'm going to do something different. And it really is hard, but it's the source of where our behavior lies, of where our, the, the direction of our conversations go. It's, it's really powerful, but to just say, oh, it's just this sweet, easy thing that I'm just going to give it all to Jesus and it's all going to be fine. Uh, no, you have to crucify your flesh when you do this. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. a good word. Thank you. Yeah, because it's interesting. I, I think that's why your your resource, you know, your book and what you guys are doing is so valuable because we oftentimes don't even realize why we're having the thoughts we're having. Or, you know, we like you said, we don't take a captive. We don't even think about it, right? So one thought leads to another thought and leads to another thought. And if you don't stop and really say, why am I thinking that? I've been reading another or, or listening on audiobook to another book on kind of the, the battlefield of the mind. And mm-hmm. um, it's amazing as, as he was talking, just decisions like, you know, as a kid, if my parent always gave me food when I was sad or hurt or, you know, fell and skinned my knee, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know, they're doing a good thing. But all of a sudden, years later, I'm turning to food for comfort. And I don't even realize, I don't even know why I'm doing that. And so to stop and say, why are these thoughts the way they are? Sometimes you can uncover things that you didn't even know were there um, that you needed to take captive. 
you have to be intentional and make a plan for it as well. Something I do is I do sexual integrity coaching with men. Part of our story, and this is in the book, is before Ashley and I got married, she found inappropriate images on my computer. And it was a major break in trust and something that we have to, we still have conversations about today. And luckily, I've had accountability and been doing the things that I need to to stay pure in that way. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to have conversations about it and we don't have to work on it. But in the coaching that I do with men, it's like, you have to make a plan for where your thought life is going to go. You have to make a plan that you're going to bounce your eyes. You're not going to like set yourself up to be tempted. If you can do something to remove something from your home, from your phone, from your computer, the places that you go, whatever it is, why fight a temptation that you can remove? So if you know that in your thought life, you get with certain friends and they're negative and they're gossiping, all right, then you need to change the conversation or change the friend. And it's just, it's it's the basic things that are, not overly complicated, but it's what most of us don't do, unfortunately, to change the way that we think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Joanna had mentioned earlier in the program that she didn't know how to help me when I was struggling with some of those things regarding the change in work and change in location and things like that. Can you suggest some ways to open up communication about our grief with our spouse? Certainly. I think that understanding that we don't have to say the same thing or feel the same thing to support each other is really important. That's a good point. We've learned that for each other. I am more of a communicator when it comes to just telling my feelings without having to be asked sometimes. I've noticed. But I also need to be asked. I think there's sometimes that I, I maybe want to even try to like, well, he doesn't tell me. I'm going to try to not tell him, see if that works for me. And it, it doesn't really work. Chuck just whispered. It doesn't work. because He's looking at me. That's <laughs> true. I can attest to that too. <laughs> but then it, it's also important. He needs to try to talk more. And, and Chuck, you, you can whisper that to yourself right now too. Nope. <laughs> no, I'm it's, it's true. I have to push myself to do it. And we're learning that it wasn't just in grief that we have these patterns, but it was exacerbated. It came out, you know, hot and strong. And so if we are not in a season of serious loss right now, then it's a great time to build these communication skills so that we will be stronger the next time that we face a loss. And so if you just have the practice of trying to pay attention and notice each other, if someone is a little quieter, then you just say, Hey, I noticed you're a little quieter. You know, is everything good? Or if you just don't even want to do that, because sometimes that could even be hard if you're like, wait, I was just being quiet. Now maybe I'm in a bad mood because I think that you're um, <laughs> instituting you're one for me. <laughs> telling me there's something wrong with me when I didn't feel like there but, was. But just showing people that, you know, I'm seen. And sometimes we want to be seen, but uh, we don't want to be told what we look like. And so if we just acknowledge that in the relationship that, hey, they're leaning in, they're trying to ask, and they may have said it in a poor way, then that's okay. But just creating those check-ins where you you ask about your day. How's your day been? We'll do happy crappy with our kids. What's a happy thing from the day? What's a crappy thing? And then we will share... And we know a little bit more about their school day. And we have found about some bullying experiences, sometimes about times they did things that they should have been in trouble with, but they didn't. And then even our youngest, you know, they have laps whenever they talk a little bit too much in class. And so he's like, happy. I didn't have any laps today. I'm like, wait a minute. You've had laps before. (laughs) As, As we just engage with that relationship, we learn things. And even, you know, we don't mean to, to, 
tell and you know rat ourselves out. But that's the amazing part about building a relationship. So if you grieve differently, if you process differently, it's okay. But making sure that you're finding ways to physically speak to your spouse, not just over text, not just you know whatever, but you're making eye contact, you're looking at them, you're physically touching one another, and you know connecting with each other in all the ways. And sometimes I worry it's going to get on Ashley's nerves, but I have said many times, I feel like I want to say something, but I don't know what to say. And that's my communication. As lame as that sounds, sometimes I just tell her, it's like, I feel kind of upset. I feel, I don't know if I feel mad. I'm not really mad at you, Ashley, but something I'm just kind of irritable. And I just tell her that. And that reduces the tension or the potential of tension in the relationship. Because sometimes I just don't know what to say, or I don't know what I'm feeling, and I don't have to have it all lined out for her. But that kind of gives me permission to think about it a little bit longer without worrying that it's going to cause a problem later. And sometimes I would be resistant, or I still am. And here's the thing. We've been married 16 years, which is a decent amount of time. And we're professionals in this. And communication is hard, and relationships are hard. And I mess it up, she messes up, and we have to continually come back to it and figure out how to communicate. And talking about talking, which seems redundant Mm -hmm. somewhat, but communicating about our communication and just saying, hey, earlier I thought about saying something and I didn't. Should have I said something and staying quiet instead of staying quiet then? And then we can talk about that. And I really do appreciate it when he does this. It it feels like progress because we've had the circle over and over again. Like, oh, we've gone through the cycle. I'm frustrated. I can tell you're frustrated. You don't speak. And then it seems like something else happens and you just stay quiet. And I'm like, I know it's because you're mad from 20 minutes ago. Will you just talk to me? And so if I feel like I'm perceiving what's going on and he doesn't say anything, it hurts me because I feel like it's a little break in trust mm-hmm. that reminds me of bigger breaks in trust. And so it keeps me stuck in 16 plus years ago whenever I want to be in the present, but it keeps triggering something in me. And And so when he says, I'm just being quiet, you know, and I didn't have to ask him, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm still processing, but I'm trying to speak. That is enough for me to hear that he is, he has remembered what I've said, what I need, and he is trying. And he doesn't have the magic words. I'm not looking for him to say magic words. I'm just looking to know that he's trying. And that is a way that helps me to see he's trying to build trust instead of break trust. Well, 20, like in the moment saying, I'm trying to figure it out is better than me waiting three hours until I think of the right thing to say. And that's, mm-hmm. that's hard. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Cause I yeah. want to say the right thing. Cause I love her deeply and I don't want to say something stupid. I don't want to be hurtful. I don't want to react. So I think I have to wait until I have it figured out. I don't have to have it figured out. Like, I think that sometimes in marriage or in relationships, I want to present to her like, it's almost like a performance, but not like in a dishonest way. But I want her to, I want Ashley to think that I'm good and I'm smart and I'm a rock star and she married a really good guy. So I want to put things together well, but me waiting to do that, it just, it doesn't always go well. I feel like you're a rock star when you no. tell me you don't know what to say. So Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like some of what I'm hearing is almost this idea of, of we're safe people for each other. And I think as much like you're saying, like as much as I love it when Rob's an open book and really, really shares all he's got inside, that's great. But um, that isn't going to do a lot of good if I'm not in a posture of being able to listen and be humble and not try to fix him and not try to rush him through his grief process. Like he needs to know if he does open up that I'm going to receive it really in a honoring and careful way. 
And it's this idea of, yeah, of having um, safety. And that kind of led into my next question is, I think one of the hardest parts about losing something precious to us is that it just can rip away our sense of security. And we we kind of get a whole new reminder that life can change without any warning, right? And so while we're working through our grief, I mean, while we're still in it, how can we create a sense of safety for ourselves, for our kids, for our spouse as we're still in process, would you say? I love the uh, the talk of safety. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard people say this, you know, we can, when we start to feel really anxious or overwhelmed, if we are safe, you can, you can tell yourself we're safe. So maybe that's a good question to start with. Am I safe? Okay. Yes, I'm safe. I'm overwhelmed, but I'm my my immediate safety is not at risk. And and if we're safe, then just reminding ourselves, I can look into myself. I can pray. I can understand what I need. I can ask for what I need from my spouse. And and so if that is a place where it doesn't feel safe, and maybe it's not physically dangerous, but if like you shared, you know, every time that I share how I feel, you just correct me. You know, if that's if that's the lack of safety that you feel, have you told that to your spouse? Have you shared that. And if you don't think you could share it, then let's process why not. And if you could try again, using that positive and negative space um, idea, could we say it from a positive space? And what I found as a counselor is people, even this, this past week, someone said, you're a really good mediator. I said something and I didn't even realize that, that my spouse, I, what I said wasn't accurate and you helped me to re-say it so that my spouse could hear it in a positive way. And then they moved through it. And and so I think sometimes getting a counselor helps us to speak in a more positive space, but we can also just learn, mm, that triggered my spouse. Let me try not to do that. And when we remember <laughs> some things like, I'm, in, I'm on the same team, then that can help us because sometimes we want to trigger our spouse. We want to take a low blow and say, oh, never trust you again or say something that's really hurtful. And if we find that we're consistently in that space, we need to do some reflection and in prayer before the Lord ask, what is it that's going on inside of me that's causing me to not feel safe? And how is it that I work through that? And if that's on individual counseling or before the Lord or with a you know friend or companion, you know, with your spouse, then then do that work, but get to a place where you feel safe and you can work through because otherwise we're gonna be putting up our defenses. In our book, we talk about an anger wall. You know, we've got this defensive wall that protects us. And so we feel angry all the time. And it's really just to protect us from the things that we need to address in the first place. So I think that idea of safety is really important. Safety is really good and it's connected to stability. And you already alluded to this but there's an exercise that we have in the book that talks about uh, mental stability. So what are the things that you have in your behavior that make you feel unstable? And what are the things that are stabilizing? And you list those out. So if you're in a mentally stable place, then maybe you're going to be exercising, getting good sleep, having a good diet. But a mentally unstable place, you're going to be not taking care of yourself, staying up really late, self-medicating with substances or behaviors or whatever that might be. And if you're looking at it and saying, okay, I'm not feeling safe. Well, what's my behavior been like? Well, I haven't been taken in very good content. The movies that I've been watching to, the music that I've been listening to, the food that I've been doing, taking in, the people that I've been around have been kind of negative. Okay, well, then that could be why you don't feel very safe and you don't feel very stable. 
So what's mm-hmm. it look like to go for a walk? What's it look like to eat the things you know that you need to eat? So instead of listening to things or watching things on Netflix that are tearing down your soul that are maybe inappropriate, what's it mean to do a devotion, to get quiet before the Lord? What's it mean to do a study, do something that would build, be building you up instead of just allowing your behavior to match the mood that you think you have because that's what you deserve? Instead, feed yourself good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you've got the wheels turning in my head about um, if we broaden that out to think about those rhythms as a family, like when our family is stable, how do we engage with each other? And when when one of us or all of us are feeling like we're in a place of instability, what are the things that fall away? And I mean, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, chances are your physical intimacy with your spouse is going to take a hit. And maybe date night is no longer on the calendar. And maybe you put having game nights on Fridays with your children and reconnecting after a school week or Maybe your tucking in routine looks different because like if we're hurting and we're pulling away, like, well, how is that going to look like under our own roof? Can you kind of speak into that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the thing is, sometimes in our systems and our families, we think that we have to do something to earn the good stuff. And Ashley and I will often talk to people about you need to be increasing the good, not just trying to reduce the bad. So if something's really difficult in a family, you've gone through uh, a loss or there's been conflict or there's been a break in trust. Just waiting until you have reduced the bad enough until you increase the good is the wrong way of thinking about it. You need to be increasing the good influences and the good investments while you're working to reduce the bad. So even if your kiddo has been suspended from school because they did something they really shouldn't have done, that doesn't mean that you don't still spend time with them. That doesn't mean that, okay, so if it just happened today and it's not easy to do the Friday night game night, okay, in that moment, but that doesn't mean you need to reduce the investment of relationship and quality time with the family because you have to feed the good things into the family, even when it feels like external stuff, internal stuff could be bad. And we try to think about the discipline that we want to use in a positive space so that when we get into that place where we feel disrespected, that we don't just bark out a really strict form of punishment because we have said even even honestly i'm going to admit yesterday i did send my kid to his room for 30 minutes and that was a little bit of a negative space i had kind of thought of it but we had tried several different things and just redirecting and and i think this is why we have a plan to try to make sure that we're not doing that but we will try well, you know evaluate i don't want to be really strict with my kids and then always punish them from relationship i want to be firm with them consistent with them pointing them to jesus but i also want to give them punishments that will help make them better so it wasn't too long ago we were you know really frustrated and we were trying to be creative and one of our disciplines we thought how about we have our kid help us make dinner for the next week and we did that and it was awesome and i had to say this thing that again i felt a little frustrated about but i said if you have a bad attitude then you get two extra days or we're going to have to find a different punishment if you can't and it's going to be a more strict punishment and and we end up having to do that for one day there was something but it ended up being a really good time that i was sad that the punishment ended but then we we do try to be creative with some of these things and say hey now we can you know give it some time and then let's build into having our kids maybe once a week help us for dinner and and so if you're going to god for the help you're going to get it wrong like i the sometimes you do a little bit too strict of a punishment but 
you can be gracious with yourself, but know if I learn my positive space, know my negative space and try to build more of the habits that I want, then I will build the life that I want. So um, a few minutes ago, Chuck, you were talking about just knowing what you do. And I think that's the awareness piece. So we talked about the three A's in the book. And so the first A is to be aware. So all of the things that we're talking about today, they build awareness to our thinking habits, our relationship. You know, Do I feel safe to my spouse? Does my family feel safe to me? And as we understand ourselves, we build safety, we build awareness, and then we can move through the rest of the steps. So that second step is to assess. So if you, you, you're aware that you're a really negative thinker, maybe in grief, then you say, I'm going to assess, what are my options? And so you think, well, I could talk to a friend, I could journal, I can write a book, I can you know do all these different things. And then that third A is to act. So we pick something and we do it. And we're going to keep cycling through those three A's so that we build the life that we want. And we want to bring God into that process of awareness or to open my eyes so that I can become who you've created me to be and help me to see myself as you see me. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And you know, something that you were really open about in your book was just in your own grieving process, how how that can be really difficult when it comes to the family rhythm of continuing to go to church. I mean, church can be a pretty raw place, right? And I know I can think of individuals in our lives, how for them and their own grieving process, just getting up in the morning and getting in their car and driving to church just felt so hard when the pain was the most acute. So I know we could camp on that for a long time, but what would you tell the husband or their wife who's just like, I know I need to be there, but it's so hard to get myself in there. (laughs) And I know it would be a way for God to connect with me, but I just, how do I do it? Like, what would be your encouragement? Well, I think giving yourself permission that it is hard. It is hard to sometimes go into being community, but we really do need the community. And if you've just gone through something incredibly difficult and it's like, okay, Today, I feel like we just need to be with family. And in that moment, okay, you know what you can do? You can do what you need. But a long-term avoidance of biblical community is not a fix for feeling like you're going through a hard time. And getting to a place where you can bring your full self in those moments, that if you're upset during worship and you have some community with some people that you can tell as you're um, in a group or you're standing by the coffee bar or walking down the hallway, people want to be for us, be there for us more than we often let them be there for us. And Ashley and I multiple times have found that people have been more receptive to us needing them than we fear that they would be. And when we're in a negative space, we often think no one will care if we're not at church. And then if you go to church, you find out, oh, people did care. If you don't go to church, you might say, mm, no one even texted me. They didn't even notice. And and so we're building our house in a negative space or we're building our house and our life in a positive space. So again, have empathy for yourself. It's okay. I'm going through a hard time. But then lean into it. If that means using, you can use our switch theory worksheet. So you're thinking the positive space thoughts and negative space thoughts, and then how is our behavior? So when I'm in bed and I don't feel like going to church, then I don't. And then how is the rest of my day? Like, do I have guilt? Am I you know, just disappointed in myself? Is there something else going on? And if you just lean into it, like, well, what's the value in church? Like, how does church fill me? Or how is it previously? What am I afraid of? And so I had a client that I was working with as she was going through this after a major loss. And she said, I wouldn't go by myself at first. I sat on the back row and then I cried the whole time. And then I cried the whole time the next time. And then I 
it, she just kind of walked through this process that it was over months. It just got a tiny bit easier. And then she said, I had a week that no one could go with me. And so I didn't go. But then the next week I went by myself and I just listened to her story and I could hear her struggle, yeah. but she struggled toward God. She struggled with God and I saw grit in her as I listened. And so I think that that's who we want to be like. We want to be like Job who's gritty and stays faithful even though he faces all these losses. We don't want to be like his wife who says, why don't you curse God and die? We want to have faith. We want to be strong. Yet it's okay if we don't feel like we can be, but let's pull in people around us to to be like Aaron and her, whenever they're holding up Moses's arms, that we need community, but we can ask for what we need. And, you know, and so again, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to struggle, but think about what you need and how you're going to get there. And we always worry that we're going to be a burden to somebody else. But if anybody were to ask one of the four of us, if we'd be willing to help somebody or listen to somebody who's grieving or gone through a loss, we'd say yes. But for some reason, whenever we show up somewhere or we ask a friend, we think that we're going to be a bother and they're not going to want to help us. But it's just it's just not true. It's one of the lies that we sometimes believe. Mm, yeah. Okay. It's another part of that, um, what you were talking about earlier, Chuck, too, about the, the work that it is to take our thoughts captive. And oftentimes the other piece of that hard work is the action that we have to take in order to for those new thoughts to kind of take root. Mm. Because if we're, you know, just sitting in our aloneness with those thoughts, oftentimes if we don't act on them, they just, you know, they they do grow. And it's hard for the new thoughts to take root if we we don't take action on them. And yeah, we've because we've been there. We've we've definitely been there where we've kept our thoughts to ourselves and uh, said, oh, nobody wants to hear it or nobody understands. And and to your point, it, it's it's the exact opposite. And so so yeah, yeah that's good a good word. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think there's so much, there's, there's so much great uh, information that you guys are offering us today and that that's uh, available in your book that we could probably make this a three part (laughs) um, (laughs) growing, growing home series. But if you could just leave, you know, another thought or message today with uh, the folks listening on, on grief and, and what um, the process is, what, what would it be? It's hard but it's worth it. And you don't have to put too much pressure on yourself to feel like you need to figure everything out at once. Just because you don't maybe feel like going to a certain place or doing a certain thing today doesn't mean that you can't make steps towards navigating what does it look like to move forward. And in the big picture of this, you're not just doing it for you, you're doing it for the people around you as well. If you're a parent, how well you process your grief is an example to your kiddos. And it's going to make an impact on your relationship with them and your impact on the relationship with your grandkids. Or if you lose one of your parents and being able to communicate and process that could help you to make the most of the time that you have with the other parent who's still with you. It's not just about feeling better and reducing the sad. Sometimes people, when they do grief work, they're like, okay, I'm just going to reduce how sad I am. But if we don't do some of these things to navigate and to process, we're not going to be emotionally available for the things that we really love in life. And if you're not quite ready to do a whole lot of work, mm. this verse might be encouraging to you. I We read it with our kids last night. It's Revelation 2 verses verse 25 it says i will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until i come and i just thought oh man as a type a person that felt so comforting to me and i really think man if i had read that whenever i had just gone through loss that might have been pretty comforting to me because 
I have this knowledge of grace, yet I also know that there's faith and there's action. And I want to be a person that God's going to say, well done to, that I've worked hard. And and in my grieving state, I felt like I couldn't. I couldn't work hard like I usually was would. And so just thinking like, it's okay sometimes if you just have to hold tight, but hold tight to the hem of his garment, hold tight to the Lord, get in his presence, and he will help you pick up the pieces. He will help you know reveal the grief that you have, the grieving that needs to be done, and he will do it in his timing. And so if you don't have it all figured out, then you're joining the club right along with us. But we do, we we pray that y'all will feel connected to God in your grief. And even if you're not quite happy with God, he can handle your anger. And when you lean in, he will help you heal. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. Well, hey, would you be willing to pray right now for the things that you're talking about that people are going to find the help and the comfort that they need? Yeah, we'd love to. God, we just thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you, God, for your love for us, even in our darkest moments. You loved Adam and Eve whenever they had just eaten that fruit. And you came looking for them and you asked them where they were. You sought them out. And we can read your word and know that you are a God of community, that you want to dwell with us. And your word tells us in Revelation that you come again, you wipe our tears, and you dwell with us again. And so we long for that. And we thank you, God, that you've sent the Holy Spirit. And we invite your Holy Spirit into our darkness, into our weakness. And we pray that you help us to take our captive, take captive our thoughts. Help us to be aware of those thoughts that need taken captive. And we just pray, Lord, that we can be effective for your kingdom that we would hold tightly to what we have, that we would hold that mustard seed level of faith. And even if it might be less, that God, we just say, help me to build my faith in you, even during hard times. I thank you, God. I pray a blessing over this podcast and the ministry and all of the people who are listening. Lord, I pray that you will just dwell with them today, make them aware of your presence, and that you will show them that you are with them and you will show them that you are a faithful God. Lord, I thank you for your word and I pray that you'd give us a hunger and an understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, really encouraging. I mean, I've gotten a lot out of it. One of the things I, I got out of it is we're getting rid of the old boring highs and lows and we're going to happy and crappy. <laughs> yeah. <definitely. laughs> so that's, I mean, there's a lot more in the program than that, but that's one takeaway that... <laughs> I am going to know what you get what you get. That's, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But um, I know, I know that our friends listening today are going to want to learn more about you guys and get a hold of your resource. So where can they go to connect with you guys online? Absolutely. We'd love to stay connected. Chuck into Ashley.com just spelled out there. You can find links to all of our social and find the book anywhere the books are sold. You can also get the audio book and hear us read it to you if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Well, yeah, uh, thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us. We just really appreciate you. Thanks. It's been a blessing. And thank you, friends, for joining us on the Growing Home Together podcast today. Rob and I would love to connect with you over on our website at growinghometogether.com. You're going to find all kinds of books and resources to help you pray as a couple, pray for your kids, and create some special moments of connection with your family. Um, At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And growing home together with you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Growing Home Together podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and found some valuable insights to help you care for the soul of your family. 
Remember to check out growinghometogether.com for more resources and stay tuned for our next episode coming your way soon. 